Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. I'm so excited to share with you our new five grain and seed oatmeal multi-pack. We just launched two incredibly delicious varieties, classic cinnamon and banana nut. Our new oatmeals are unlike anything on the market, intentionally crafted with a plant-based protein blend of pea and chickpeas, sweetened with coconut sugar, plus superfood ingredients like chia and flax, perfect to fuel your busy day. These single-serve packets are total game changers with irresistible taste and texture that's ready in literally a minute and perfectly suited for our new lifestyles back on the go or those days that we're still at home and you want an elevated, quick breakfast. So we have an exclusive deal for our Live Purely listeners on our new oatmeal multi-packs. Use code LIVEPURELY, that's L-I-V-E-P-U-R-E-L-Y, for 20% off all online orders now through July 31st on purelyelizabeth.com. Happy shopping! Today's guest is Jenny Britton Bauer, founder and chief creative officer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream, an ingredient-driven ice cream with the most delicious creative flavors out there. Jenny is a pioneer of the artisan ice cream movement, opening her first ice cream shop, Scream, in 1996, and then founded Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream in 2002. Today, Jenny has over 60 scoop shops around the country, along with her pints of ice cream available in retailers nationwide. Jenny is a two-time cookbook author and James Beard Award winner. In today's episode, Jenny shares about how her background in art led her to start an ice cream brand. For Jenny, ice cream was a carrier of scent and a way to tell stories, much like art was. We talk about the importance of starting a business small and then growing, the need for having a strong vision from the beginning, how her grandmothers taught her that she could do anything she wants, which really set the foundation for her success. Jenny shares about her approach to flavor development, which all begins with the source of the ingredients, as well as how she balances eating a pint of ice cream on the regular. Keep listening to hear all about it. Jenny, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so honored to connect with you and just such a huge fan of your brand and everything you've created. Well, thank you for having me. This is so much fun. And we'll say in honor of having you today, last night, I did have some Brambleberry Crisp, which is my absolute favorite flavor of yours. Any sort of crisp is my favorite dessert. So that is my go-to. That makes sense because there's oats in that. (laughs) It's like, it almost is like a granola. Well, in honor of being here, I'm literally eating the vanilla chocolate chip granola with kefir, with actually raspberry kefir on it. And it's so good. Sounds like a possible flavor for Jenny. I know, right? <laughs> so at Purely Elizabeth, our mission is to help you thrive on your wellness journey. And we really start with that with food, but then by really sharing knowledge with our community on nutrition, career advice, personal empowerment, et cetera. So I'm excited today to really get to your story. I think it's powerful and inspiring and excited for our community to hear all about where you started and where you are today. So let's start at the beginning. What led you to start Jenny's? My goodness. Well, I was studying art at Ohio State University and I was working at a French bakery I'm trying to figure out what I was actually going to do in my life, because when you study art, that's what everybody wants to know. (laughs) What are you actually going to (laughs) do? I had always been kind of entrepreneurial. One of my grandmothers was an artist and an art teacher. And the other one was just like a very, she was like a, I would say like a home economist, you know, like very like good at being like, you know, sort of stay at home grandmother. She was also kind of a neighborhood connector. So my one grandmother would like teach us how to make something beautiful. Like we would pick cattails out of a ditch and weave them into baskets, like dye them and, and like dry them in the sun and then dye them and then weave them into baskets. But then my other grandmother would be like, I know like six people who would love to buy one of these from us. And so we would like, (laughs) we would make like 10 of them and then sell them in the neighborhood. And so that was like my whole life growing up. So I think even when I was studying art, I was doing it in a way that like I'm building a skill illustration that I can, you know, do something with its communication. And so I always knew there was something. 
but I had to figure out what it was. And so I just started using ice cream as, a, as basically a carrier of scent. I was very into like mixing my own perfumes and thinking I should be a perfumer. That was another thing I was working on. And so I realized I can tell, I, I can tell stories through ice cream the same way you can with illustration and art and, and, and copy or text, you know, and started doing that. And, and within a few months, everybody knew me as the ice cream girl back then, ice cream lady now. And I quit art school and went and started in a farmer's market. So that was, I was 22 years old. I mean, that was half more than half my life ago. That was it just off and running. I had a lot to learn. I didn't know anything about, you know, I thought I knew more than I did about ice cream making, about business, about customer service, about everything. I had a lot to learn. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, no better place to learn it than just by doing it. I mean, I could not have learned all the things that I have had to learn. I'm sure you'd feel the same way. I couldn't have learned that if I had just been like, let me just pivot to business school, you know, and then I'll, and then I'll go start my ice cream shop. I needed to learn a lot of things that like they don't teach anywhere. Absolutely. I mean, that's incredible that you were only 22 years old and starting a business at that point. Do you remember what, what was that moment that you were like, you know what, I'm just going to go set up a stand. And did you have fear at the time or you were just so young and naive that you just went for it? I didn't have any fear. I did have a vision that I locked into. And so the idea was, oh my gosh, the Eureka moment, ice cream can be so much better. I already knew that I loved American ice cream, like the hard body, like scoopable ice cream that I grew up with, like Haagen-Dazs, Ben and Jerry's, Baskin Robbins. So I knew I loved that as a style versus like soft serve gelato and other styles. And so I was like, and my first job was an ice cream shop. So I knew that I loved that, that thing of ice cream. And when I had that idea, it was like, holy cow, it can be so much more interesting, so much better. And maybe it can appeal to people like me, not just be the sort of nostalgic, you know, longing for some, you know, golden age of ice cream or whatever moment that happened a long time ago, but maybe it can be forward looking and about flavor and about the actual ice cream and not just about the chunks. And that was like the basic idea. And then I like projected it into the future in the same moment, basically, that I just first experienced ice cream and I, or my ice cream. And I saw like, what would happen if we were successful, right? So I was like, oh my gosh, I could see like, you know, flavors that told stories, flavors that connected people, flavors that like gave people something to talk about. I saw like, you know, people having dates, falling in love, people hanging out, like, you know, coming into my shop, you know, and they wouldn't go to like other shops because they were like too old fashioned or whatever. And so once I locked into that vision, it, it was over. Like nothing else inspired me. Nothing else mattered to me. Nothing else was exciting to me. And then I couldn't sit in art class anymore. And so I left and just went and did. there was no fear. In fact, there was fear of not doing it, if anything. I love that. I think it's so powerful in the beginning when you have that moment. I feel like the same thing for me. It's It was just so crystal clear of like, this is the path that I'm, I'm going on. And I think that's super helpful for anyone who is, you know, figuring out what that business looks like. It's getting crystal clear on what that vision is. I, yeah. And I would say also raising our children as vision, you know, people, because I owe my grandmothers, my grandmothers are responsible for my imagination, which I live in to this day and for helping me understand how to project that forward and create a vision that I could get behind. And so I'm very much a vision led person, but I learned that from them. And I think it's important, especially now, because I don't think we talk about it enough to our younger generation, raise our kids to understand vision and like how to jump and trust yourself, you know, which is, you know, not always easy, obviously. What do you remember some of the things that specifically that your grandmother taught you for that? I mean, they, first they were always asking me to think more, right. To go inward, to know myself. We spent every other weekend in my artist grandmother's forest and they had 10 acres of forest land and two hours out of that Saturday or Sunday, we were forced to sit by ourselves somewhere in the forest. And so I always sat by my favorite oak tree. It was massive, massive oak tree, but learning self-reflection and how to do that is one of the most important things I think we can do, because once you start to know who you are, then you start to know what you're about and, and, and that changes over time, but through thought and reflection and action. And so then it's just like a cycle of, you know, think, do, repeat, reflect, you know, reflect, repeat, think, do, reflect, repeat. I mean, you know, you're constantly thinking and then trying things. And that came from them for sure. Enid was always wanting to do something new, never wanted to do the same thing twice, always exploring, always on to the next thing. Whereas Betty wanted to perfect things, right? She wanted to make something exactly the same way 
10 times and not know the difference between the first one and the last one. And the funny thing is too, that my sister who's 18 months younger than me got a completely different thing from them. She's like a high level programmer. I don't even know. She does like like coding for like national defense. I mean, I don't even wow. know. Like she got something from those two people, the same two people, very totally different. different. Yeah. Isn't that funny? So there is something to like, just whatever you're picking up and there's something to what you have inside that also interprets what's going on around you, even from a young age. Definitely. You had that creative outlook. That was your interpretation of it. Yep. Yep. But both those grandmothers helped both of us believe we could do anything that we wanted to. And that was constant, you know, and also go your own way was the other thing they said all the time, go your own way. You can do anything you want. I think that's so powerful and so powerful. I think as an entrepreneur, having that support system and that confidence, because I think there's so much in the beginning. Yeah. You can go after whatever it is you want and really helps to like break down that barrier to take that step. We don't tell our kids you can do whatever you want anymore. My grandparents both told me that my mother told me that everyone in my life, I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, you know, it wasn't like I was in, you know, I don't know, New York or something. You can do anything you want. Now we tell our kids, Oh, if you do these specific things, you're going to be great. Everything's going to be great. And if you don't like, you're not going to be great. (laughs) Like, it's not going to work out for you. So you got to get, you got to get your diploma. You got to get a degree. You got to get a job. You got to get work for mid-level management and try to move up if you want to. Entrepreneurship is, you know, well, it's fine as long as you're a unicorn. Entrepreneurship is fine as long as, you know, it's a pitch and launch business and you go get a lot of money right away and pitch and grow. I always think start big and grow, right? Instead of starting small, right? So we're not, we're not giving our kids that same message anymore. And I don't think it was just my grandparents. I think there was something about my generation where our kids were allowed to roam free, do whatever they wanted to. They were gone for 14 hours a day. The parents had no idea where they were. We were just (laughs) hanging out and doing stuff, you know, and then, and then we had their support, you know, with these little sort of moments throughout our weeks. But anyway, I really, really do think that we're not telling young people that I think we're telling them the opposite and we got to get back to that. It's kind of a mission of mine. (laughs) I love that. And I love how you talk about starting small and getting big. And I can definitely relate. And I know I've read that you didn't start with the business plan either. Neither did I. So really that's, it'd be great just to talk about kind of what that step was that you had this idea that started the market. And then was your vision at the time, I want to create stores across the country, or I want to get into grocery stores. What was that plan at the beginning? Honestly, and I think this is a perfectly fine business plan. My business plan was, or like my, my vision was if Ben and Jerry can do it, I can do it. Absolutely. They're not that smart. Like they're (laughs) fine. They're great. But like, if they can do it, I can do it. So I was just like, okay, we can have stores. We can be in stores. We can do, we can just do whatever we want. And as soon as, you know, I mean, we were sort of native on the the internet. So it was like, well, we're in Columbus, Ohio. We're not going to be in New York anytime soon where all the media is. So let's open a website so that we can ship to New York. So as soon as we and, you know, we opened up Jenny's in 2002, in 2004, we opened our website and then we started to get national press. I mean, so it was just like, you know, it was just like, you know, this seed of an idea. Well, if they can do it, I can do it. It's possible. I see it in front of me. I can do it my way with a different generation of people or a different group of people of customers. And, and then it's like, you know, you kind of, your, your business kind of, you swerving, you know, from point A to point B is not a straight line, you know, from the beginning of your vision to achievement of your vision, it's not straight line. It's a very windy road. Definitely. Learn and adapt and, you know, do new things and whatever. So you definitely create the most creative flavors that I've ever seen and love them. So talk about what your creative approach is to flavor creation and kind of where you seek inspiration. Well, in the beginning, it was all at the market and I was boots on the ground in the market for four or for 10 years. So before we grew, before we started really growing and I had two different businesses, I had my first one just out of art school called Scream. And then my second one called Jenny is kind of based on that perfecting it. So every flavor idea really came from the market, which is an amazing place to learn about everything about flavor, seasonality, provenance of ingredients, It's both local and national and international 
from like, you know, the winemaker or the wine monger or whatever, like knows all the wines and knows everything about them. The cheese monger knows all the cheeses. He knows what hill those cows grazed on to make that cheese or whatever. So it was like just an incredible place to get an education in on ingredients. And what um, was just for anyone who doesn't know, what was the market that you were in? It's called the North state Market. The okay. The North Market is the oldest public market in the Midwest. It's been in continuous operation since like the 18, I don't know, seven, 1870 or something like that. Like it's, it's a really wonderful place. It's had a couple of different locations burned down. It's, you know, been rebuilt or whatever, but it's like 60 or so merchants selling everything from handmade chocolates, spices from all over the world to like various, you know, fish, the butcher shops, bread bakeries, all the farmers come in every weekend. So it's just this incredible, vibrant place. But the neat thing is when you're learning, like I was, that you, you're only busy like three hours a day. And of course you're making ice cream for another three or four, but you've got time to wander around, talk to people when no one's in the market, except the people who work there. And it's a really neat moment in the market. And I like to visit other markets, both in, you know, in America and around the world during those times, because they're, everyone does it. And I'm sure that throughout history, it's the same thing. The market's busy during times. You have your busy work during other times. And then there's this lull, this sort of downtime where you get to know everybody in the market. But that's originally where flavor ideas came from. And the funny thing is for those years, I mean, I did everything because the truth is anything can taste good in ice cream. That's the truth. (laughs) It can taste surprisingly not bad at least. Right. So, so that becomes confusing for kind of an amateur trying to figure this stuff out. I mean, you can put nearly anything in ice cream and it tastes pretty good, but over time, I think I developed an understanding that was like, well, surprisingly not bad is not the same thing as really good. As incredible. Focused on really good. Does this deserve to exist? Like I don't need to be making bone marrow ice cream. You know what I mean? Like it's, surprisingly not bad, actually surprisingly kind of good, but it isn't, there's so much more to it, you know? So I, so while I was using every ingredient in the market, I learned so much. I also learned preference. So as I was, you know, giving people samples over the counter, literally hundreds of people day, sometimes thousands a week, I could listen to feedback and get that, just that feedback directly. And those years that I spent doing that are the same thing. I mean, I just got out of a tasting at our test kitchen and raced home to be here same thing is happening now. I mean, I, I rely on those, that understanding that I built back then of how people interact with ice cream and what people need from me, the ice cream maker. Yes. It's an amazing flavor, something, something different, but also something deeply delicious and, and almost like just fun and optimism. You know what I mean? But I had to learn all that stuff. And I learned that just by listening to people. So it was the flavors in the market, but it was also getting that direct feedback, real-time feedback, which goes into just this. Now, you know, I might call it instinct, but instinct is earned. You know, instinct mm-hmm. doesn't just come out of nowhere. It's because you've worked for it yeah. and, and you should trust your instinct. I don't know how, but how you feel I always do, because I feel like I did earn it. A hundred percent. I think that's. And also that's, when I look back, I'm like, and it was always right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm far enough in that I can look back and be like, you know what guys, trust your instinct because mine was always right. Very, I think very when- I think when you're so deeply passionate and connected to what it is that you're doing, that it's, it's just so much easier to be able to tap into your instinct. Like you're, you're so in tune with it. Yeah. And you're in the zone reasons that I like start small and build companies and there's nothing wrong with pitch, you know, going out and getting money and, and, and launching big, some companies need to do that because they're like, idea just is right for that kind of a thing. But we don't talk about the people who are out there just starting and putting one foot, $1 in front of every day. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people still doing that. And we need to talk about that even more because we need to help people understand, no, you can do anything you want if you're willing to start small and build, but that is where you build that instinct. And so, yes, it takes longer, but what you're really building is first of all, community, one person at a time, the intention is being shared. Your energy is being shared with someone. And then they become your, your customer for life and part of your community, but also you're really learning what becomes your intuition that you really can't learn sitting in a boardroom, just looking at data. You can't, there's something you can learn a lot doing that, but you can't learn that emotional instinct that you have to have with people. And we get that at trade shows and we get that over the counter and we get that out on the street and just listening. Absolutely. For us in the beginning, for, you know, the first up until maybe a year or two ago, it was 
doing every single event that we could just to get product in people's mouths and sample and hear that feedback. And so I'm sure with you today, with now having so many scoop shops, how many do you have across the country today? 60. Wow. That's amazing. So now having that direct feedback must be such an incredible vehicle. It is. And we listen we don't like test our ice creams out. That is a test. You know, when we put them in the stores, we're listening. We want to hear what people say. We listen in stores. We listen, of course, online. We listen all wherever we can. And I sometimes will be sitting in a store with a baseball cap on, literally listening to people and people still recognize me. Because <laughs> I was going to say, does anyone hats. not know? <laughs> it's so funny. Cause like, no, I literally, I always have my hats and I have colorful hats and whatever, but I started wearing them. So people didn't recognize me in stores. Well, that's not really true. I mean that, but also like I, I love, I just don't like wearing sunglasses. So I'm out with baseball caps all the time, but <laughs> it was great. But now like people know me for baseball caps. So it's like, if I'm sitting there, I usually have the most colorful outfit on this in the whole store <laughs> and a baseball cap. So yes, people know, but I do love to sit and just listen to people. I'll be sort of pretending almost to be in a conversation with someone who, who I'm with, but just so that I can listen to whatever's going on in the store. That's so smart. So do you then use, do you test flavors in the scoop shop that then eventually go into grocery? Is that how you look at them? Yeah. So one flavor, one example of that is our, this year we had an amazing flavor, which was raspberry rose jelly donut. It's so good. But what we realized about the flavor, both listening to people and also listening to ourselves, because I think sometimes all you have to do is like really ask yourself, you know, what do I love? Because chances are other people will too both listening. The rose actually got in the way of the flavor, even though it's super cool. It's super awesome because once, once you taste the flavor, it's like magical. It actually tastes like a powdered sugar donut first. And it's this weird magical thing. You almost feel the powder in your mouth. Like it's so weird, but it's so magical that we were like, that's the star of this flavor. The fact that it actually weirdly transports you to the moment you just breathed the powdered sugar off of a powdered sugar jelly filled donut. Oh my God. You're making me hungry. This year we're doing it as just raspberry jelly filled, which we make. It's going to be better because we put the focus on the thing. That's like the most magical moment of it, but really we needed to put that out and listen and and get out there and taste and eat. I ate a whole pint last weekend. I mean, we just needed to like sit with it for a while to figure out where the magic was. And, And that's how we figure that out. So this is a perfect segue as you talk about magical ingredients and really what your approach to ingredients are, because I know that you're very optimistic on using, you know, the most beautiful local ingredients, local dairy, et cetera. So really talk about what that guardrails are as far as how you look your special ingredients. I think there's two things that we're trying to do. One of them is build community. So we, I, because of the market, I just know that when I know the people who make or grow or supply the ingredients that we use, our ice cream tastes better. It does. And it also continues to get better over time because people are devoted to that. They know that they're a part of this system of this fellowship that we have. And that's important. So that's really important to me, whether it's local or international. And then of course, there's the quality thing, which I think when you know the people that that is what happens, but I do think that we want to have you know, quality markers, you know, specific sort of guardrails about what we're trying to do. And for me, it's like with dairy, you know, it's smaller farms. I don't want the big farms. It doesn't have to be a hundred percent grass pastured, but I want the cows to be healthy. (laughs) And when you go to dairy farms throughout the Midwest, most of them are under 200 cows. Most of them are under hundred actually, because that's one family can tend about a hundred cows if they go up to 200, they usually have another family, maybe the brother-in-law or sister-in-law and their family live on that farm. So they both work it or they have some employees. So a hundred cows is about good for one family. And that's a pretty good job. But what happened is that that family knows all the cows. Like they treat them like they're, they're animal. I mean, they are their animals and those cows are great. They're curious. They're fun. They have, you know, they're, they're just like, they're almost like having dogs, you know what I mean? (laughs) So they take, I mean, they really are, they're fun. They walk in the same order to the milking barn every day. They have like their little, their little culture or whatever, their little, I don't know, community, but so they want their cows to be out on grass, you know, but they want them to be in the barn when it's too hot. You know what I mean? And so I just let them decide what they're going to do. They take them off the line. If they get sick, they know when to put them back on. It's a, 
it's a nice sort of circle of life. So those are the kinds of dairy farms that I want to work with. And those are not easy to like brand, yeah. right? So I'm not going to come out and say hundred percent grass fed everything. I mean, we do work with only grass fed milk right now, or grass pastured milk. For me, I would rather have that relationship and the quality that goes with that. It's deeper than just the, the label brand. And I just, yeah, I mean, I think it's important to have those standards in food production, like organic and all of them. But the problem with it is that what I've noticed with farmers is that when they get certified, they never go above it. They never go outside of it. They just, it's, they just barely hit it. That's all yeah. they need to do. And I just want people who are kind of more in tune with the land and nature and like how they work with their animals. To me, that's just more important. So that's kind of how I do it. And that's true of strawberries, you know, I mean, or, or anything that we can have grown for us. What's your favorite flavor that you've created? My favorite is the, I mean, I have a lot. <laughs> if you had to pick, <laughs> maybe we'll give you three. Well, I ate a lot of ice cream this weekend. My favorite one though, that I eat the most is the brown butter almond brittle. I mean, I probably eat a pint a week of that. And that's on top of, you know, the other ice creams that I'm eating in the test kitchen or doing for a video or whatever. And then sometimes when I go to the store, actually almost never do I get that flavor at a store because I always want something new and I want to, you know, but I always eat it at home. So it's probably my longest lasting favorite. Was that one of your first creations? It was in 2009 and it was actually inspired by Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl, the the author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and James the Giant Peach. He wrote about his ice cream, his favorite flavor when he was growing up. He wrote about it as an adult. He grew up in Norway and there was this flavor. And, And so he wrote about that. And then I read his writing and interpreted it into that flavor, brown butter, almond brittle. And we did it for this whole Norwegian like holiday. I had a really good Norwegian or friend who was Norwegian and she was kind of helping me do some other flavors too. And so anyway, it just, it took off right away. And we've had tons of Norwegian Americans validating the qu- the quality, I guess, of that flavor and their authenticity of it. Oh, how fun. But it's called Kroken in Norway. It's a very similar thing, probably not brown butter, but that was my addition. <laughs> So as you talk about uh, having a, a pint of ice cream a week, I, I love the, I don't want to say indulgence, but just allowing yourself to enjoy beautiful, amazing food. What is your approach to, or your wellness kind of philosophy and how you look at balance? Yeah. Cause I'm a little bit different than other people. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of an athlete of eating ice cream is kind of the way that I have to think, like sort of think about it. I believe when I eat ice cream. And it's usually a pretty small amount. I feel really good. I feel really satisfied and I don't need like a lot, you know, when I allow myself something really beautiful. And so that's kind of the way I do it. And that's true. Like I love baking. So especially like pie baking. So I'll eat like a piece of pie or like, I happen to have a bunch of chocolates here because my friend brought me a bunch. So like I'll eat, I always eat something really indulgent every single day. Like, you know, if it's like a big chocolate bar and sometimes twice, but I'm also like very aware of sugar. Mm-hmm. And I don't drink alcohol ever. I am very aware of, you know, getting, making sure I get enough protein, like, and, and, you know, not, and, you know, just balancing everything, lots of fruits, lots of vegetables. And, and I'm, and I'm very aware of my calories every day. So, and I also love being outside. So I like activity. It's really important to me not to push myself. I don't like go to the gym. I don't, restrict myself in diets. I'm just aware. And I really believe that whatever you put in front of you, you should pay attention to. So whether if I'm eating a chocolate, I'm thinking about that chocolate. I'm thinking about the chocolate maker. If I'm eating your granola, which I'm literally eating right now, I'm like, actually, like, I actually love to like say hi to friends in the grocery store. So like, <laughs> I love it, you know what I mean? Um, but I, I just, I like the flavor of oats and honey and all the things that could be in there. And, and I just want to like, take a moment with that. I'm very mindful. And I think if you're just with it, that becomes, I don't know, a bigger memory or something like that, a bigger moment. But, but I also love, you know, vegetables. I'll eat an entire head of cauliflower for dinner. I think it's so important to really have that relationship with food and really sitting down to enjoy it, be mindful and allow yourself to have yeah, I am beautiful aware. creations. Yes. Getting in it, like understanding that that is the most, this pleasure it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't, 
ever eat things that are, you know, without, you know what I mean? Like I would rather get a huge, just eat a lot of beautiful broccoli. Like it's so beautiful. I don't need to eat an ice cream that's low calorie, right? Because I can balance beautiful ice cream or whatever it is, pie or whatever, something else beautiful that also balances out fiber and protein and calories and whatever it is that I need to balance in my life. But I can find those things and, and do that. So I just really like think it's, it's about that. I just don't like, I, I, I was slow, slow to this. So like, I didn't, I wasn't trying to like fall off a cliff and be like, now I'm going to be healthy and I'm going to get everything right. And I'm going to do whatever. So I'm only going to eat this many calories a day. And I'm going to make sure that I get out and run and whatever. I didn't do it all at once. I just became like, you know what, if I'm going to have this lifestyle, then I probably shouldn't drink. I can give that up. That's easy for me. I probably shouldn't have calories in any drink because that's easy for me to give up except Sundays. I'll, I'll, you know, cream in my coffee. So then it was like, okay, well, what does my body look like at 2000 calories a day? I just wanted to know. So give it six months. What does my body look like at 1800 calories a day? Plus, you know, some activity. Do you know what I mean? And so like over a long period of time, you can just make little adjustments. You don't have to be crazy about it and you can see big change, but it's when I have tried to be like, okay, now today's the day, you know, in my life, that I fail at that. And so I've really gotten all, all of my realms of being in balance in the last few years. And I just, I, I find that it's actually easier than what people make it out to be. If yeah. you're just willing to make small changes and love yourself first, you know, love yourself first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give yourself that time and find what balance means for you, mm-hmm. your, your personal body. So as you think about balance, then well, or lack of balance. And we think about our jobs and our life. How do you approach kind of quote unquote work-life balance? And what is your approach to really feeling your best in your role and, you know, not getting burnout and just feeling great? Well, I mean, a couple of things, there is no, when you're an entrepreneur, there's no balance. I mean, there just isn't. In fact, in a way that is, maybe it's the ultimate balance because it's literally everything that you want to do. It's all here right now. You know, and it all needs attention right now, <laughs> you know, especially with being a mom, I have a 12 year old and a 13 year old, and that's been challenging. I mean, the truth is that women do all of it. And so when you're the breadwinner of your family, also, you're also the one that's still doing all the work at home. Mm-hmm. And it like, it's not fair. <laughs> if a man was building a business, a lot of times, if he has kids, he's got people there around him to do, to take care of the kids, a wife, and maybe even other people, but I didn't. And, you know, so I did all of that where I did all of it and it's hard. And I lost myself actually for a little while. I had to like get myself back through a lot of work a few years ago. And, um, you know, it's tough, but at the same time, it's in all of this is like in service to your dreams and passion. I couldn't do it for someone else. So I do push myself because it feels good. You know, it really does. Even if it's the hard stuff, even if it's over the boundary of what I'm capable of or whatever, and I have to pull back, you know, it feels good because it's my thing. And I will say number one thing that, that, that helps me or that makes things work is the right, having the right people around you. When you have the wrong people, both in your company and, and elsewhere, just things don't work. You're misaligned. You know, everything is kind of, everything feels like friction. And then that's Mm -hmm. the worst. But when you have flow with who you are, what you're here to do, and the people that are in your life are here to help with what they love. It's that true fellowship of everybody brings their awesomeness in. And then together we make this thing that's bigger than the sum of our parts. When you have the right people around you, everything is so much better. And when you have even one wrong person in your life, it's not bearable. (laughs) When you're trying to do everything, you can't, you can't have it. You just got to get rid of those people or you got to get some distance, put up some boundaries. So how do you look at, you know, typical day for you? How do you set yourself up for success? Do you have a morning routine? Do you time block? What's your strategy to doing it all? I'm a very free flowing person. I mean, I have a calendar. I have somebody that helps me manage that but I am a very free flowing person. I'm usually, you know, it's seven, seven 30. I have a couple of hours to, you know, hang out with my kids. They don't usually want to anymore, but whatever, <laughs> offer them breakfast, maybe make them pancakes, 
read. I read on my front porch. I just have like a little stoop with stairs and I sit there and drink coffee and read. I might water my little garden this year now, but I have that moment in the morning. That's really important to me. And then I jump into work for a few hours. And then usually I go on a hike. I have a lot of places to hike around here. I usually go on a trail run or something, and that can take anywhere from 45 minutes to three hours, depending on which one I go to. And then I jump back into work for three or four hours. And then usually there are like some creative projects or something else going on in the evening with kids or, or just on my own, more reading or something like that. So that's, you know, the, the work is kind of like whatever's boiling up today, whatever I need to work on today. And it's always different today. I was in the test kitchen testing ice creams for February. If they're so good tomorrow, I'll be writing the side of that pint. You know, it's just always different. Some, you know, I, I just did a speech at Aspen So I worked on that for like a month and that kind of was all consuming. So it's just like, depends on what I'm doing, but they're usually, it's just, I block out time to work, always time for myself, you know, both in the morning, afternoon and the evening. That's so important. I think that setting yourself in the morning. Things just get hard. You know how it is. Like you're in your, your company or trying to do so much and everything's just really hard. Kids and, you know, and it's just like, and it's just like, if you're only focused on that, your 10 hour block, which I did for most of my life you can really lose yourself. I mean, you can really lose perspective. So I started doing hiking in the afternoon to get me to nature, to find perspective. I mean, like, I feel like the trees are my friends and I'm like, these guys have been here for 400 years. Like my little things right now matter to me, but they don't matter in the big picture. And then I can go back to it and be like, you know, with the right perspective. What would you say has been, you know, some of the qualities that you have that have really made you successful over the years? I think resourcefulness and resilience. I mean, I think a lot of entrepreneurs would say the same thing. I think creativity is resourcefulness, efficiency. I mean, it's making the most out of the least, living on a shoestring, like living paycheck to paycheck. You know, you can't do that for as many years as, as, as I did, unless you're like, you know, I mean, not many people can do that. Like, you have to have like everything in the company and your, your sort of expectations, you know, in the right place, I guess. If you think you're going to be a, an entrepreneur driving a Ferrari in two years, like you can't, <laughs> you can't build a company like mine. Right. And yours, like, you just, you just don't, it's too much, it's too much work and you won't be able to get through it. So that sort of idea of like always being able to make something out of whatever is in front of me. And then, and then over time, resilience. I mean, I think I had some coming into it because I didn't have an easy childhood, actually. You know, in spite of talking about my grandmothers and all that stuff, I actually had a lot of trauma in childhood and in, in high school. And so weirdly, and I always try to reach these kids now, that built resilience in me from a very early age. So that helped me understand that, like, you know, what pain is, I guess, you know, what my threshold for it is. And I think that's really important. And then of course it just continues to build. I mean, the things that were hard for me in the beginning now seem so easy, you know, and now of course I'm so used to being resilient that like, I've got to be pushed every day. I've got to be a little bit afraid or else I'm not having fun. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of the thing, but it's sort of the classic resilience and resourcefulness. I was just going to ask, you know, what, what things today do you find to be the biggest struggles or obstacles keep you going and push you out of your comfort zone? Well, I mean, still public speaking because I can get up and riff for as long as I need to on my story, on my beliefs, my like love of community and and all of that. But when I really have something to say, like I want to talk about start small and build entrepreneurship to a higher level group, like at Aspen, where I was last week, and I'll be doing it for another TEDx coming up next week. That's still really hard for me because I've never trained my brain. I didn't do well in school. I didn't like it there. And I just really didn't train my brain to um, have that way of organizing, right. That sort of linear thinking. So I don't have a, I can't like think of like, okay, here's the arc of the story. Here's my three points. And then here are my three points within the three points. Like most people that might be easy for, Mm -hmm. it's really hard for me. In fact, it's very confusing. It makes me think while I'm speaking and then I trip up. So it's really, I I have a message I want to get out to the world, but I have to work really hard at it, like more hard than other people do. So even when I was going to Aspen, it was like every day for, I was like practicing it. I still couldn't commit it to memory. I mean, it's so hard for me. So that stuff, that kind of stuff is still, yeah. Well, it's amazing that you're doing it though. I mean, there's so many people who would feel that fear and not go for it. So yeah. 
I, you know, I wanted to quit. I, I'll tell you, I was like, oh, am I really going to do this? But right. no. I was going to say like, how much you know? anxiety scale one to 10 did you have like flying into Aspen that day? This was like a month of my life. Like I was so freaked out. And I, I actually, when I was flying in, I was like, okay, great. You know, let's go. This is going to start. And then it's going to be done. It's like the week out. That's really hard. Right. You know, and it's, it's fine. And I did fine. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't great, but it was good. Everybody said it was good. I know what I did wrong, but you know, it's like, yeah, it's like terrifying. And then like, you know, and I think, do I want to do this again? Can I get good at this? Yeah. And the answer is yes. I just have to work harder than other people, you know? And so I have to commit and I probably need some like coaching. I have coach, but like body language and like, and how to stand, you know, I just need that. So, okay, well, let's bring that in. That starts next week, <laughs> you know, because for me, what the speech was about, what I, what my thing is about is, 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 and some of the things we've talked about today is, is about let's start talking about start smalling build again in America. This has the power to change economic circumstances across this country in the way that almost nothing else does. And in fact, also even over time, change the power structure because some of these businesses grow. You know, if we get more of these local businesses, when you take too much money too early, you know, you end up working for someone else. And truly, your whole company exists just to make more money for people who already have it. And what we need business to do also is to, help people who don't have money like me when I was starting get money yeah. and, you know, and therefore maybe get some, some resources to spend in their community to make things better, you know, and all of that to spread out in the way that only we can or want to, or whatever. Yeah. I think important. it's so my message. I, I, you know, I want to keep doing it, but yeah. You know, well, and then it's like you're on a great path. And I think that go. message, you know, it's not overnight success is really important. Yeah, it's not. And if parents, because the parents are the real problem, <laughs> if the parents, if we all think just because our kids want to be entrepreneurs, that they're going to be like unicorns, or if they don't get, you know, whatever number, number rounds of funding, you know, or what, like that they're not successful. If we think that starting in a farmer's market is not, you know, the cool way to do it anymore or whatever, like it's not the fat, it's not fast enough for us. Well, then we're really not doing America any favors. I feel like, you know, Starting smallest, in fact, we should be able to get grants, you know, from the federal government the same way we can with college to start our first little businesses, you know? Yeah. And because the learning that you do through that is, is incredible, but. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to switch gears to some rapid fire Q and A. Okay. See, again, we're going to get to my brain. Like we'll see, we'll see what my brain. <laughs> You'll do great. I don't Yeah. They're not too hard. What's something that brings you joy? Bowl of cherries, which I just had. Three random things that you're currently loving. It could be product, book, podcast. Okay, let's see. Three random things that I'm currently loving. My friend has a company called Beckett and Quill, and it's this little heart, heart, black heart necklace that I, I really Ooh, love. I love I that. Never take it off, and um, she's awesome. It's called Beckett and Quill. I'm just gonna see if I can find my book, but it's on my front porch. I'm reading a book right now about motive, what motivates us. And I am a, I'm driven by the sort of Epicurean way, which is not, which is, which is kind of hard to, to explain, but it really is being driven by kind of like being driven by joy actually. Mm -hmm. And following that it doesn't mean that your life is easy, but it just means that you're not driven by that sort of external discipline, but like more of an internal discipline. So I'm reading a lot about that and really trying to like, to figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> You'll have to share what the title is afterwards so we can link. Yeah. I mean, it's like, this one's an academic book on motivation, but there's a lot of different books that I kind of read in philosophy when it comes to like that. I'm not like, I would be like the opposite of like a stoic, for instance, it's very popular. I'm not a stoic. I'm not trying to live up to someone else's ideal or a societal ideal. I'm trying to figure out what my nature is mm -hmm. and be true to that. And so anyway, so that's, I do a lot of reading on that kind of stuff. And then rollerblading. So that's, that's something I started two nights ago. And you know what? I'm already good. <laughs> already good. I just like reverted back to my teenage self when I had, last time I had a pair of rollerblades, it was super easy. And I'm like cruising up and down my street now. It's great. It. Super fun. What do you want more of in your life? I want more time to play. What do you want less of? I want less structure more and more. I just feel like the, the older I, I get, not the older I get, but the more wise I get, the less structure I have. And I think that's just my nature is getting out of structure. That's like just like that. my, my ultimate goal. <laughs> the best business advice that's helped 
Jenny's or help you? Uh, the best business advice I ever received. And it was the, and it was from a person I was trying to get money from before I had any money when I was, before I started Jenny's and I was asking him for $30,000 and I was their nanny and they had it. And I had made ice cream for them and I'd given them a business plan. They loved it. And they said, you can have the money. Like, we'd love to give this to you, but don't take it. And I was like, oh my God, like I just did all of this stuff. I wrote this this ice cream. I like just pitched to you. And they were like, if you take our money, we'll own your company. We'll own too much of your company right now. You need to own that. So go to the bank, do whatever you can to get it any other way but this. And they're still my friends to this day. And they're like, Jesus, we should have given you the money. Um, <laughs> Such wise but, um, advice. Truly, like that was in 2001. And I didn't take money until 2016. I mean, every other, it was from the bank. We went to the SBA and we just, you know, we, we just lived on a shoestring. We still do that. Now we're such an efficient company. We only have, we have a less than million dollar marketing budget for our company, which is that's incredible salaries. Yeah. Oh my God. We are so it's all about creativity and community and people passing the word on. Yeah. It's incredible for an, you've done a phenomenal job. Yeah. So it's because of that person was like, any, you take money from someone else, you work for me basically. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not what I got into this for. No, absolutely not. A meal that you'll never forget. I had a meal in in a uh, Moustier, France. This is like more 15 years ago, maybe. And it was, it came out and it was like nearly raw pigeon. I know. And I was like, yeah, no, I can't. I don't think so. <laughs> With like roasted grapes. And I ate it. I started eating it. And, you know, I was thinking like, well, I'm not going to not eat. I have to eat it. I'm in France. Great, fine. And it was the most incredible thing I had ever eaten in my entire life. Memorable. I think it was an Alain Ducasse restaurant. And also what I loved was that this was sort of a testing ground or a practice ground for like young people. So there was like a lot of like 16 year olds, 17, 18, 19 year olds working the entire restaurant who would probably go on to work in his bigger city restaurants over time. I had just the most incredible, I mean, it was just, yeah. And it was beautiful. So memorable. Sounds amazing. Favorite Jenny's moment of all time. I mean, it was pretty great watching Dolly Parton, like, like having a picture of Dolly Parton posing with our ice cream. That was pretty, that was pretty cool. <laughs> had a pretty incredible year. Yeah. She's incredible. Yeah. I think that was, yeah. And lastly, what's your number one negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Non-negotiable is for me time in the forest every single day, every single day. I just get out there and I'm just become one. I, I lose ego, lose myself and become one with just the forest and match my energy to the tree in the forest, trees in the forest. And it's everything. Well, in closing, what is next for Jenny's or anything else that we haven't covered that you want to share? I mean, we're going to continue to open some stores, which I'm super excited about. I mean, we've been, we just opened in Greenville, which is one of my favorite cities. Last year we opened in Birmingham, another one of my favorites. There's so many beautiful and incredible places. Is in Boulder America, on the right? list? Gosh, I wish. Boulder's not on the list yet, but maybe, maybe it will be someday. I love Boulder so much, but it's just, you know, there's just so much culture in America and, and we're just lucky to be able to get out and serve people in these cities. And, and, and by that, I actually mean also serving our own teams in these stores. I mean, it's pretty incredible so we can serve these communities. So it's, it's just neat. And I, I love it so much. And also I hope I get to get on the road a little bit more because I haven't been doing that since COVID started, just, just barely starting to pick up now. Wonderful. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and can't wait for my next pint of ice cream. Thank you. And I also have to note that both of us put our name on our products. And I think that's so, so cool because I do think there is something about putting your name on it, man. When you put your name on it, it means something. Absolutely. Values that we have at Jenny's. So I think that, yeah, it's important. I actually did mean to ask you that. Well, digress for one second. And did you ever think about not having your name? I know you started to scream, but then was Jenny's like, I knew I want my name on the product. Yeah, no, I grew up in the deep Midwest and like, that is not something that you do. I mean, maybe if you have like a car wash, you could be like Bob's car wash or mechanic shop or whatever, like, but like, I don't know, you know, it was just, it was was like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. I was not going to put my name on my company. What happened was that I had scream ice cream 
was my first one just out of art school, made a lot of mistakes and then wanted to open this new one. And I had a bunch of names and I was asking people like which one they liked best or whatever. And everybody's like, you can't call it something else because no one even called it scream. Everyone called it Jenny's. You were there all the time. So no one said, let's go to scream. People probably didn't even know it was called that. It was just like, let's go get Jenny's, you know, so so funny. that made a lot of sense to me. If I introduce a third thing, then nobody will find me. It'll, it'll just seem like a new ice cream company. So called it Jenny's. And what happened was like two weeks into it, I had been working night and day to keep up with production. And I was there on a Friday night doing dishes. It was after midnight and like the light was shining. It was like a spotlight only on me. I was the only one in the whole market, this massive space. And, and I was thinking like, you know what? It's scream. I just go home right now. Like the dishes are, I can leave them till tomorrow. We don't have customers until nine o'clock. I have to be here at seven. I have time to do these dishes tomorrow. So it's scream. Yeah. I would have just, you know, gone home. I untied my apron. I flipped around to like, I'm leaving. Cause my, you know, I was so tired and I looked up and the thing I saw in the spotlight was like this you know, dumb. So we didn't even have a professional sign yet. We had like a piece of paper fluttering in the air conditioning that said Jenny's. <laughs> and it was like the wow. spotlight was on that and on me. And I was like, holy okay. shit, I can never do that again. This is like, my name is at stake. Like this means something. So I turned around, I did all the dishes. And to this day, like you fight differently when it's your name. And I know that because I didn't fight the same way at screen. I wasn't as humble. I wasn't as open to what was really going on, you know, cause I could separate myself from it, yeah. you know, but I also didn't fight as hard for it. I didn't fight as hard for any of the ideas or, or anything because it just wasn't close enough to me. And you put your name on it and that, that changes. Absolutely. You feel the same way. hundred percent. It's so powerful. And everything is just so personal. It's you mm-hmm. are their front and center. And so you want it to represent everything right and be transparent and authentic and all of those all of those pieces of it. So have to. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day and week. You too. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.